Hello and welcome. The debut, the inaugural, the first ever HOB football podcast. Where we're here to talk anything and everything football, from the X's and O's to recruiting to the college football landscape to the NFL and everything in between. I'm Clayton Barnes. And I'm Patrick Banner. And we will be your hosts for this brand new Football Talk podcast. Today we'll be doing a wrap-up on spring ball in the SEC West, analyzing and grading the NFL draft, and our X's and O's topic of the week is debunking the myth that the spread offense won't work in the NFL. Now let's start off with the reigning king of the SEC West, Nick Saban's own Alabama. Now this year, they're looking to be a lot more run-centric team with Derrick Henry and, and Kenyon Drake. But Kenyon Drake, Lane Kiffins will play a lot of games with him, moving around. He's kind of the kind of the Reggie Bush role that everyone likes to look back on back during their reign at USC. Now, when you look at the spring game, their O-line, they look to be a little below your typical Bama standard. They got two returners, which are pretty good, in Cam Robinson and the center, uh, Ryan Kelly. But they got three new parts, and as a whole, they shouldn't like a great unit going against their own front seven. The thing about that is, is Bama probably has the best front seven and when it comes to stopping the run in the SEC and probably the nation. So that might be the reason they kind of looked a little off-kilter. Now, they got some good weapons on the perimeter with Chris Black, Robert Foster, and Darius Stewart. And I think those are all the talented guys, but they're new guys. They haven't been out. They haven't been, been in the trenches, been in the war like the past guys have because they lose all three of their main weapons from last year. But they got talent. The thing about me is I just kind of worry is do they have that guy out there that they can just sling it out to and say, hey, go make a play. Like Mario Cooper, any time they're having struggles, just passing the ball down the field, they can say, hey, I'm throwing you on a screen, throw it to you on a bubble, you know, get, a, get on a short play and get you in space. And I don't really know if they have a guy like that this year. But Foster and Stewart definitely showed really well in the spring game. They can be viable weapons. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, that's one thing that the, the big question mark for this team going in is, is obviously the quarterback situation. Who's going who's gonna to replace Blake Sims? Who's going to take the snaps? And, um, you know, every year in the SEC, you know, while – you know, the champion may not have a dominant quarterback. He may not be the, you know, the Heisman guy, but he'll always be a guy that's going to come in and get the job done. So I think, obviously, that's the biggest question. And like you said, uh, the threat on the outside, I think we're going to see Bama as a much more, you know, heavy downhill running team as, we, you know, much more we've seen the pass as opposed to, you know, spread out and passing. Um, but, you know, I, I definitely like what Derrick Henry brings to the table. And, and like you said, going against that Bama front seven every, every day in practice is certainly not going to, you know, be a bad thing for your offense, you know, going into the season, going into fall camp. Right, and since Kenny Drake, he could be that guy to replace Cooper as just the, the guy they throw it to, give him space and make plays. Mm-hmm. He could be the guy, but then you're also you're not getting as much in the backfield. Exactly. And the thing about Bama is with Scarborough's injury and, and with losing a couple guys to transfers or suspensions, now you're really only looking at two guys in the, in the two deep that really have anything going on with experience-wise. And so you're relying on probably the, the true freshman to come in and be your third guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure he's the quality of freshman they, they used to see in, like, Yeldon and Richardson. Those guys that come in day one and are yeah. dominant. I just don't know if he's that kind of guy. Now, he might, and, but I just don't know if he's going to be that guy that can step in. So you're really going to have to worry on uh, worry about who's going to be your third guy is with Scarborough's injury. And so if they have Henry and Drake getting it done, then that should be fine. It's just how many carries are going to get him because mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot of the – Worry about last year the Kevin he didn't really run the ball enough. Yeah. And with a lot less weapon experienced weapons on the outside and not having Blake Sims back, having a question the quarterback, are they gonna are they gonna lean on the run game like everyone wants them to, or what's Kiffin gonna do? And so with, with the quarterback, I think everyone kinda knows Jake Coker's gonna be the guy this year. Cornwell's kinda pushed him a little bit, but when it comes down to it, they're kinda very similar players, but Coker's more advanced at like this stage. Yeah, I think Coker's the guy everybody's been saying is probably the favorite to come out of there. Yeah, it's just the thing I worry about with him is very inconsistent. 
Sometimes he'll be accurate. Sometimes he'll make bad decisions. He's very inconsistent, and and that's something that Saban wants at, at quarterback is guys make good decisions and are consistent. And so if they don't run the ball dominant, then it's going to make it harder on him because I'm not sure he's a guy you want fourth quarter dropping back and passing to win the game. I yeah. think he's a guy that you just want to just manage the game and hit and hit easy throws, easy decisions off play action downfield. Yeah. That's what he'll be good at because if you, if you run the ball downhill well with him, they're going to make really easy passes off play action, and they're going to hit you downfield like that. But I don't think it's going to be a straight drop back game or he's just going to beat you with his arm because yeah. he's just not he's not consistently accurate enough and he doesn't make consistently good decisions. Yeah, I think you know one thing. This is the story every year that we've seen since since Nick Saban's taken over Alabama. That offense or that team's only going to go as far as the offense is going to take them. We know what the defense is going to bring. We know they're going to be a top five defense. You know, we're going to be a top in the SEC. It's going to be what kind of offense production they can get, especially with the guys they're going to have to replace. I still think you know Bama is the favorite in the SEC West, no doubt, um, especially with you know the recruiting class they're bringing in and, and what they've done lately. But uh, you know the, the big thing is going to is going to be how you know how much production they're going to get out of that offense and, and, and how you know how much they're going to be able to rely, rely on the run game and get an outside threat out there too. Now, let, now let's touch on defense a little bit. Of course, we already mentioned they probably got the best run stopping front seven oh, yeah. probably in the country. The country they, they got yeah. big bodies on the D line, big bodies of linebacker. That's what they do. They stop the run. They're going to make you beat you elsewhere. But the question marks they happen is in the pass defense. Just say the back. They, they've got they've got some issues at corner. Cyrus Jones is the one guy who's who's proven he, he can get the job done. But other than that, they got a lot of question marks. A lot of highly rated guys, but they just haven't put it together yet on mm-hmm. the field. And at safety, you're losing you're losing Landon Collins, and you're losing Nick Perry. And those are experienced guys who who've been in been in the trenches and been been in the wars. They've they've got that experience. But now a lot of guys are looking at at safety are guys that used to be corners that were failed projects there. Like, mm-hmm. You got guys like Mo Smith, like Eddie Jackson. Are these guys are they going to put it together at safety? Or are you going to have issues there too? So that's that's a big question mark. Is how because they they struggled last year defending the deep ball and in the spring game they didn't show. We saw a whole, it. Yeah, we saw it in the spring yeah, game. they didn't they didn't show a whole lot more just, improvement in that area either. Yeah. And so that's a big question mark. And plus another thing is once again for probably about the third straight year they're looking to find a pass rush. They yeah. haven't had that in a while. And when you don't have that, you can stop the run all you want, but if you can't rush the passer, then you're just going to expose you in the back end, especially the issues they have. And so are they going to find a guy that can rush the passer? Is it, is it going to be Tim Williams, the uh, the kid out of Louisiana? I think he's a second-year or third-year player. Is he going to be the guy that's finally going to bring the pass rush? Other than that, they don't really have a whole lot of proven commodities in the pass rush. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a big question. Are they going to be able to rush the passer to help their DBs, or the DBs going to put it together to help the pass rush? That's that's kind of where your, your, your matchup nightmare is, is teams that can throw the ball downfield. Mm-hmm. And so that's the one thing we're really going to look at. And so that's why, you know, look at teams that can be ma- bad matchups for them. A&M, Auburn. Mississippi State because Dak Prescott in that pass game looked oh, yeah. really good in their spring oh, yeah. game, and then Tennessee with Josh Dobbs. Now three of those games are on the road. They got to go at A and M, at Auburn, and at Mississippi State. And so when you got bad matchups on the road with inconsistent pass defense, I mean that that's something you got to worry about. Another big thing is they go in a four game stretch. They go at Georgia, Arkansas at home, at A and M, and Tennessee at home. That's four really yeah. tough games on a row. And when you're when you got holes on your team and you got two tough road games. I mean that can be that can yeah, be a an issue for them. I was going to say one thing. You know, you talked about those good matchups: A and M, Auburn, Miss, or at A and M, at Auburn, at Mississippi, at Mississippi State, and, and home against Tennessee. You get those four teams. All four of those teams, they don't have a quarterback issue. They know who they're going to be going into. You know, in the year. So, you know, especially those three road games. Um, you know, no, there's no easy game in the West. There's no easy game on the road in the West. And there's certainly no easy game on the road in the West when they, when the when they got their quarterback situation figured out. So. 
Um, I know we're getting – this is a spring ball talk mostly, but where do you see Bama finishing up overall record-wise? I mean, you know they're going to be good every year. But I, out of those four games I mentioned, that four-game stretch, I just have a hard time seeing them not losing one of those games. Mm, I agree. And I could also see him losing in the Iron Bowl at the end of the year against Auburn, whether that's for, for an SEC West title or if Auburn's trying to upset them for that. You know yep. it's going to be a tough game, and oh, it's yeah. on the road, and they got so many weapons and perimeter that's going to give them issues, and they still run the ball well because they got some talent at running back. It's just going to come down to how, how well is Auburn's defense going to come together by the end of the year. Yep. And so if it gets in a shootout, I mean, no offense, but I'm probably going to take Jeremy Johnson over Jay Coker in that situation. So it's going to come down to how, how the quarterbacks prove the year, at the end one. of the game. And so I could I could see them ten and two or eleven and one. Uh, they're definitely in the mix for the, for the SEC West title, and if they are, they're in the mix for I the think championship. That's fair. I mean, we I, when was the last time that we saw it? we had an Alabama team with three losses? I mean, exactly. it's been a long time. Yeah. So I think every you know you're it's it's a safe bet to say Bama's going to be at the top or at you know one of the top, if not the top team in the SEC West. And the thing is, they just, I don't see them going undefeated because they got a tough schedule, and this is they don't think they're good enough this year. To, to go through unscathed. Yeah. They might win the West, but I don't think it's going to be getting through clean. Like, they're going to have a loss or two in the process. But yeah. I think it's going to be a crazy, weird, crazy year in the SEC West, so they, they, they can have an upset here or there and still get through just because yeah. there'll be so many losses against so many different teams. One team that, you know, like you said, everybody's going to be improved this year. One team that I think I'm, I'm really looking forward to watching is, is Arkansas. Um, year three under Brett Bielema and, and, and what he can provide. And, uh, you know, they got – yeah, we know what they're going to do on offense. They're going to run it down your throat. Um, just talk about them and, and what, what you see from them this year, especially coming out of spring ball. Well, offense, they return almost everybody. And they're, in my opinion, they're going to have the best rushing attack in the nation. Oh, yeah. they, they return pretty much everything on offensive line. They return both those backs and Collins and Williams, who are studs. And they can run a ter- return a quarterback in Allen, who's got a lot of experience and makes good decisions. He's not going to lose a game for you. He's just going to do his role, and he's, and he's going to hit you on play action downfield. So offensive-wise, they're looking great. And they still got they got a Hunter Henry tight end who's still a good weapon coming back. They got a lot of talent on offense. I think mm-hmm. they're gonna be a very talented offense. But the big question on defense is they prove really they prove to be very improved at the end of the year, but they lose their big three in the front seven. And and uh Spates, the linebacker, Flowers the DN, and File on the D tackle. All three of those guys are gone. Those are the three big impact players on the defensive front seven. And that's the reason they're the big reasons why they were so good down the stretch. Yeah. And so how do they replace those guys? Are they new guys going to be impact players too? Is someone else going to step up? Or are they just going to be just kind of good as a unit? Because if they don't have impact players, then they're going to have a hard time stopping some of the talent in the SEC because there's a lot of talented offenses. And so they don't have guys to step up to be impact players, not just regular players, then they're going to have some issues on defense. So I think that's where the big issue is. Where's the pass rush going to come from? Yeah. You know, and how, how well they can stop the run with these new personnel. I think that's a big question for them. And you, you look at Arkansas, what they did last year. You know, they, they went 7-6. and six, They went 2-6 and six in the SEC. Obviously, you know, they had a, a very good win at the end of the year against our friends over there in Austin. Uh, you know, kind of whipped them around a little bit. But, you know, you look at this team, and I think they're a lot better in their record show, especially toward the end of the year. Definitely. You know, they, they, they had a lot of, you know, close games, a lot of good victories. Um, and, you know, I just think this is a team that going into year three under Brett Bielema, He's getting his guys in there. He's getting his recruits. I think this is a team that really could push for, a, you know, a, 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 the third or fourth place in the SEC if they get the ball rolling, you know, get the ball bouncing their, their way a couple times. May watch out for this team to be an 8-9 win team if they, can, if they can get it going on certain parts of their team. Definitely. And they got, they got three key road games I think could give them issues. That's at Tennessee, at Bama, and at LSU. Now, they beat LSU last year, 
But when you look at it, it's, they're kind of a bad matchup because when it, when it comes to strengths versus weaknesses. Yeah. And at Bama, that's always going to be a tough game. They, they, barely, they almost beat them last year, but they got to go at Bama, and that's going to be tough. And then at Tennessee, we all know how Tennessee's going to be much improved this year with all that, the impro- that, that aging talent. And so that, of course, will be another key, uh, another key game. They got A&M and Jerry World again. And that's going to be a pretty big matchup for both teams. I think that that's an early SEC game for say, both. That, that could be one of the early SEC games. That, that could really set the tone for both of their seasons, either good or bad. Mm-hmm. And so, and they got to go at Ole Miss, which they dominated last year's Ole Miss, and to come out for revenge. You know how how are they going to handle that? Because they're kind of a, a bad matchup for Ole Miss because they run the ball so well downhill, and Ole Miss is more of an undersized speed based defense, which is why they're so good against the spread. And how are they going to handle with that downhill running attack? Are they going to yeah. improve from last year, or how is that going to match up? So I think this is this is a team that's definitely in the mix. They could they could get get a surprise going, and and they could find find themselves tied for first, or they could find themselves at six, and they can go any way for them. It so all depends on how they see, step up on defense. You see the blueprints there. You see the frameworks there. They they're getting their guys in there. Um, you know, I, I definitely think Brett Bielma's doing the right thing over there, and and. In the next, I think in the next year or two, they, they're, they're going to be a team that you know is a, is a force to be reckoned with every single week in the SEC. Definitely. Uh, talking about moving on now, talking about Auburn, um, a lot of question marks over there. I mean, especially on the defensive side, you bring in Will Muschamp um, and, and you know all everything that he brings. Offense, as we know, is kind of the same thing, same story with Bama. We know one side of the ball they're going to be able to take care of Auburn's. You know, Auburn's offense, they're, they're going to be good. They're going to run the ball down your throat. Um, what do you see from from the Tigers this year? Well, I think, you know, the big thing, the big storyline of Auburn is, well, it's two big storylines, really. It's Jeremy Johnson on offense, the guy that everyone's, everyone's really high on, that he's going he's gonna to come in and, and be the guy and, and be, a, be a star. And how, how Malzahn's going to differentiate his attack to more passing-oriented to go along with the run game because of Johnson's such a good drop-back passer. I think when you look at the talent they have at receiver, especially with Duke Williams, and then the two new backs they got with Rock Thomas coming back for his sophomore year, and then Javon Robinson, the JUCO back coming in. Both yep. those guys are they are studs when it comes to the run game, and offensive line they're they're pretty solid. I don't I don't see any big issues there. I don't see really anything standing out though. They seem like a solid get the job done kind of O line. When you throw in Johnson, those weapons of running back, and then Duke Williams, the perimeter, you've got to make some good offense. And no, you know Gus Malzahn's always gonna oh, have yeah. a good offense. Five returning starters on the team that went eight and five. Four and four in the SEC might have been a letdown, era, you know, underwhelming for a lot of people. But yeah, I definitely think this year they that they're going to have, um, you know, it's it's going to be it's always a fun discussion with Auburn because you know every week you don't know what you're going to get. You could get a week where you know they bring their A game and they're going to run it down your throat and, and and whip your tail up and down the field, or you could have a game where you know they don't always bring it. And and I, I think a lot of that's going to come down to the defense. They return seven guys on defense. Um, you know, I don't think anybody's expecting Will Muschamp to come in and, and give them the number one defense in the SEC right off the bat. It's going to take a little bit of time, especially after giving up 32.8 points per game. But they got it, they got the thing going in the right direction. They're they're going to be a team that you know you can't ignore. And and you know, obviously with Will Muschamp and, and Gus Malzahn, it's that's that's going to be a tough matchup every single week. Yeah, and a big thing with them is you know they're going to get better on defense, but it's how much. Yeah. You know, their pass rush is going to get better with Carl Lawson coming back, and they get the freshman Byron Cohort. And then you got your veteran linebackers, McKenzie and Frost, on the inside. But I think the big issues are in the secondary. Who's going to step up at corner? Who's going to step at safety? And they got Trey Matthews, who's a Georgia transfer, who's coming off a year sitting out. Can he be a difference maker at safety? Or is the secondary going to still be the same way it was, despite the coaching? Are they going to still give up the big plays in the pass game? Mm-hmm. But the thing, big thing with them, with them is their pass rush is going to be better just by bringing back Carl Lawson and bringing those guys back. And you got Montrese Adams in the, in the inside. You got talent. It's just how much are they going to improve year one under Will Muschamp? I think that's going to be the key of their season. 
And just like they've kind of been the last few years, Auburn's that team that they can't beat anybody any week. They can lose to anybody any week. They're, they're one of those really up-and-down teams. You never know what you can get. Are they going to hit a run where they get all the luck in the world and they make a magic run like they did a couple years ago? <laughs> Or are they gonna be? Are they gonna sputter down the stretch like they kind of did last year? It's kind of it's one of their wild card team yeah. when you look at it, and they got to go at Arkansas this this year. Who they got them early last year? A lot of people were, weren't as high on Arkansas, so they won pretty easily. But they were a lot different team down the end of the year. So how are they gonna handle an improved Arkansas team? They got to go at A and M, the team that upset them at home last year. You know, are they gonna be able to go and get that win and get the revenge on the road? And then they got Ole Miss at home this year, and they kind of they kind of slipped away with that win last year with the uh, Laquan Treadwell fumble, fumble oh, and yeah. injury at the goal line. So that was a close game last year. It's probably going to be the same this year. And then Georgia, they, they stepped on their own toes going to Georgia last year. Now they get them at home. Are they going to be able to take advantage? We there? all know what happened last time Georgia came to Jordan Air. Yeah, that's, yeah <laughs> that, that, might get another key game like that. That's right. And they open up against Louisville. That'll be a pretty good matchup. I think they'll I think they'll handle that. But other other than that, I, th- I think. Another big game would be at LSU, and then of course, Bama at the end of the year at the Iron Bowl. Are they gonna, are they going to pull off another miracle win? Because they they are a bad matchup for Bama, but are they able to take advantage? Are they be able to use that home atmosphere to to pull off a win? Yeah. And so I think the next team we need to get into is LSU. Everyone everyone knows about Leonard Fournette, and everyone got him a lot of hype last year because he was all everything recruit. You know, the next Adrian Peterson, the next Eric Dickerson, you know, whatever you want to call him. Everyone kind of knows they're going to be the focal point of the offense. And everyone knows that their O-line's going to be big and physical, and they're going to run the ball well downhill. But the biggest question is quarterback. quarterback. Is it Harris or Jennings? Can one of them step up and be the team? Because if, if, if they have a guy step up quarterback, they, they could be a national yeah. contender. That's, that's what they're missing as a quarterback. So is, is one of them going to show improvement and step up? Because they got talent receiver, got talent running back, they're, they're good on the O-line, and their defense year now is pretty good, even though the question yeah. with Steele now instead of Chavis, that's going to be a big question. But – the number one thing with LSU is how's the quarterback going to look. Yeah, then, definitely. I mean, you, think, you look at another, another year under Cam Cameron with these guys. Uh, you know, both guys, neither look terrible in the spring game. Man. Both look like they they'd improved. They got a little better. Um, the biggest thing with that way was they were going against second-string defense exactly, the whole time. Exactly. When they went against the ones, yeah. they kind of sputtered a little bit, but they looked great against the two. Yeah, I mean, so. it's, it's tough to pull, you know, your, your, early, your, you know, your, early, uh, your early opinions early on uh, just because – Everything's so vanilla in the spring. Everybody's just putting their basic stuff. But yeah, I mean, I, they, like you said, that's the biggest question mark. And then, and then obviously with Chavis going to A and M, them getting in Kevin Steele. We know what happened last time. He was a DC. Uh, it didn't exactly go well. So I think that's a little, something yeah. that a lot of LSU fans are a little worried about. But I mean, they're going to have the athletes. They're going to recruit. They're going to have the playmakers. Just going to be getting it all together. And, and really getting everybody to play as a cohesive unit on both sides of the ball. And really defensively, they got still got a ton of second secondary talent. They have that every year. It's, they got good good linebacker talent. Kendall Beckwith. They lose Quan Alexander, but you know Louisiana proves linebackers so much. They're going to have exactly. some good linebackers. I think probably the biggest issue with them this year is D line. You don't really see an impact pass rush. You don't really see other than than uh, Godshaw from last year who got hurt. But Godshaw's a freshman pretty well. He's he's really the only difference maker on the D line. And they, they and without a good D line, LSU they've they've not been as good on defense. And throwing in your, your new second your new secondary style with the steel, he's a lot more of an off. Off coverage base, mm-hmm. not as much up and physical in your in your face like Chavis like was. Chavis, yeah. How is that gonna How's that gonna work with a limited pass rush and D line? Is that gonna hurt your secondary? Are they gonna look worse than the talent shows? That's a big question you gotta have. And so I think the the quarterback situation 
and the new D.C. with Steele, how those two things work out is going to be a big factor in whether LSU is a national title contender or if they're looking at the bottom of the SEC West. They, yeah. They're another team that's a Definitely. pretty big I mean, wild card. I, I, I mean, if you had to ask me right now, LSU is probably, in my opinion, the toughest team to predict of this, of this division just because of the question marks that surround really not just one side of the ball but their entire team. Um, you know, you could see them as the sixth-place team in the division. You could see them up there still – battling to be one of the top few. So it's going to be real interesting to see. You know, they got a lot of key games, key games down the stretch, uh, you know, quite a few that I think, you know, they'll be able to handle. Uh, but, you know, you, you look, they get they do get Auburn at home, they get Arkansas at home, they get A&M at home, but they got to go on the road to Ole Miss. they got to go to Mississippi State, and they got to go to Alabama. Obviously, every week in the SEC there's never an easy game, but like I said earlier, there's never an easy SEC game on the road when you have quarterback questions like LSU does. Yeah, and I think and a lot of people are a lot lower Mississippi State this year because they lost so much senior talent. But you look back, Dak Prescott gave him issues. Oh, yeah. that, that, that spread offense gave him issues. And what do you were, have to have to win in this league? Yeah. Got to have a quarterback. So when it comes down to it, I mean, LSU, yeah, they're definitely the more talented team, and they've got more returning guys, but that could be a problem at Mississippi State just because you never know if the quarterback is, exactly. is, is Dak. So that could be a, a stumbling place for LSU that no one really thinks about. Now let's get on, let's get on Mississippi State and Dak Prescott. Now he, he's the one guy in the league. That's the returning guy. You know what you got. He's the former star. He's back. He came back for his senior year, and what's he going to do? Now, he's got some talent in the receiver core with guys like Derundy Wilson, Fred Ross. They got talent on the perimeter to work with. So, you know they're going to have a pretty good passing game. But running back, you got to replace Josh Robinson. You don't have that bell cow. I think they got more of a running back committee going on Mm -hmm. led by Shumpert. But are you going to have that guy that can be a dominant downhill running threat? Or or they have to use that more in the run game to get it going? And O-line, they lose a lot of pieces. They lose their center, who was a big, was a big factor of their, o, of their O-line. And so how's the offense going to – is it going to become more of a pass-oriented offense or they have to run Dak more just to open things up more? It's kind of, a, kind of a, some question marks on there. And defensively, they didn't, have a, they didn't have a ton of pass rush last year, and the guys they did have are gone. Mm-hmm. Their, their main returner on defense is Chris Jones, the, the D-tackle on the inside. He, he's a former five-star, big-time player. But, you know, you lose, you lose your middle linebacker and you lose a lot of your guys on, on, the, uh, on the other guys on the D-line. And so how are they going to improve in their run defense? That was their biggest thing is they could stop the run. Their pass defense was here and there. But now you lose your guys on the run. Are, they gonna, are you going to have guys step on the back end? Who, who are the new guys coming in? It's kind of a lot of unknowns on defense. And yeah, so, you know. Especially with a new, with a new guy in there, Manny Diaz, you know, coming from, coming from Louisiana Tech, seeing what he can do in his first year. Kind of a guy, uh, you know, that he can get the job done. He's been there before, and he's gotten the job done. It's it's going to be interesting to see how quickly he can get them back to, you know, or not necessarily get them back because they, you know, they were a very respectable team on defense. But keeping that up, and especially with the guys they lost, and and you know, really just, I guess, being able to hold up enough so that the offense can score more. You know, with with Mississippi State, we know they're known for their offense, and and as we've seen with a lot of these spread teams, it's not so much. You know, if you can limit the other team to this many points, it's if you can limit this team so your team can just score that many more with with how many you know high powered offense we're seeing. I mean, I think I think Manny Diaz, it it is a good fit just because he's been there before. Um, I think it'll it'll just be interesting to see, you know, how quickly he can jump in and and, and keep the you know keep it up and, and replace the guys that they have to replace. Uh, you know, they lost this past year. And and you know, Mississippi State they're they're going to be a good football team because mainly because of Dak Prescott and those yeah. and those guys, but. They're still probably going to be the favorite to be last in SEC West, and I think that's just uh, a sign of how deep and how good the SEC West is. As a team like this, it's going to be a good, solid football team. They're probably going to be the favorite to finish last. You know? Yeah, it's and that's again, that's just the depth of the SEC. You got a team that's this good, but 
you know, in any other in any other league, they may be one of the favorites, especially with you know the quarterback situation coming back and, and everybody knowing what they like to do on offense. It's just it's just the, the depth of this league. You, you know, you can have a, a good solid team, and it still just may not be good enough week to week. And then they got some tough road games. They got to go at Auburn, at A and M, at Arkansas, and those and those can be pretty bad matches for them. Especially it doesn't bode well for a team that especially only has seven guys. Yeah. Especially with like on de- all the questions on defense. You know, how are they going to step up with those kind of powered offenses? And so, I mean, there's really no easy games on the schedule. Exactly. But and they their SEC East, their biggest uh, opponent is at Missouri, and that's another big road game. Is how they're going to handle uh, a new look Missouri team. And so let's go over to their, their Egg Bowl opponents, the cross-state rivals, Ole Miss. Now, we all know Ole Miss can be good on defense. They're oh, yeah. a lot of guys. they got a lot of talent, a lot of exactly. speed. And, and they're going to they're gonna have that, that land shark mentality. But the biggest question is quarterback. Mm-hmm. Now, everyone remembers Dr. Bo from last year. He had good Bo, bad Bo. And a lot of the teams, the way they performed was based on how Bo did. Mm-hmm. You know, and so people, they, 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 uh, they harp on him about how his performance was down the stretch. And that's why Ole Miss struggled, but yeah, like without Bo Wallace, they don't beat Bama. You know, they don't win a lot of mm-hmm. the games that they do. They don't have the kind of year they started off with without Bo Wallace. And so, if they yeah. don't have a guy step up, those those bad Bo moments could be the whole year. Everything they do is very predicated on the quarterback because they haven't been a great rushing team. They've been just kind of a, a solid rushing team. They don't really lean on a whole lot. It's a very quarterback centric offense, exactly. and they got a lot of talent in the perimeter. You got. Laquan Treadwell, Evan, Green, Evan Ingram at tight end, you got talent out there. Exactly. But who's going to be the guys that facilitate? Who's the guys that make good decisions? Exactly. Is it going to be Chad Kelly? Is it going to be Devontae Kincaid? I mean, who's it going to be? That's a yeah, big I mean, question. You look at Ole Miss, especially like you said on the perimeter, you stack up what they have compared to everybody else in the SEC. I think you know, their, their skill position guys are, in my opinion, in the top half of the SEC, probably the top you know, three or four teams in the SEC definitely, just based definitely. on the guys that they can throw out there and get them in space and let them, you know, let them work. I think, you know, you got to look at the O-line. You know, they gave up 31 sacks last year, average just under four yards per carry. Um, you know, they're, they're going to have to you – know, they had some significant injuries they're going to have to deal with. Um, so, I, you know, I definitely think, you know, just like the rest of the SEC, you can get the quarterback situ- situation figured out and you can find your five best guys to put on the O-line and get, you know, get a little more production out of there. Ole Miss could be a team. Just like, you know, it seems like we talk about everybody in this, in this, in this division. Just get, you know, get them one or two bounces of the ball their way and, they, you know, they could be in Atlanta – you know, playing for the SEC title. So, you know, it, it's the, the defense is going to carry them. They're, that's definitely going to be the strong point of their team. I like what they have on offense. If they can just get the couple, you know, a couple pieces here and there getting together, Hugh Freeze is going to have those guys going yeah, this year. Yeah, if they have a quarterback that gives it on and they get some answers on the offensive yeah. line, they got to stay healthy because Larry Tunsil, he got hurt last year, but he was considered by most the, the best offensive tackle yeah. for returning this year. And so they got some talent. It's just – how are the pieces going to come together? And, that, and that's kind of a common theme for everybody. That's why I call the SEC West Elimination Chamber because oh, yeah. anybody can be anybody exactly. any any week. It just it's all depends on how it falls out. It's about and, mashups and scheduling. And you look at their schedule. You know, arguably three of the toughest places they got to go. They got to go to Bama. They got to go to Florida, and they got to go to Auburn. And, three, and, and at Mississippi State. For and the at Mississippi Bowl. State too. I mean, I'm not going to sell them short for the Egg Bowl, but you know, there's just there's a lot of road games on that schedule. They get A and M, Arkansas, and LSU at home. Uh, you know, those would be three toss-up games. I think Ole Miss, their their schedule is really going to it's it's going to come down to if they can get if they can get two or three of those road games, they're going to be in a very very good position at the end of the year. I, I you know I I could see them splitting maybe maybe even going uh, you know three and one you know with you know that Bama game away is going to be tough, but if they can go two and two three and one, you know I think it definitely puts them in a very good position. Uh, you know, to be in contention for the SEC West title this year, or and, the SEC West title. And you know Bama's going to be gunning for them. That's the upset on the road oh, last absolutely. year. That's going to be a big game absolutely. for them. So 
that's kind of a buzzsaw I might be going into there. And plus, Bama's probably one of the three main teams that's a bad matchup for Ole Miss because Ole Miss, they're, they're predicated on, on speed and more of an undersized defense. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at downhill running attacks like Bama, like Arkansas, like LSU, they they the uh, they beat Bama last year, but they lost Arkansas and LSU pretty bad at, uh, at the end of last year. Mm-hmm. And so that that's the that's the big question is how are they gonna match with those downhill running attacks? Are they gonna get are they gonna get better at defending those downhill running attacks? And how the quarterback is gonna play be able to take advantage of some of the defensive mm-hmm. issues those three teams have? Exactly. And so let's let's hit on the the final team in the SEC West. Texas I think the one that we're all most comfortable talking about here, and I think the one that we're most, you know, we'd be able to get into the most are fighting Texas Aggies. Yeah, and I think, and, and the thing about us is we probably have a lot more insight than a lot of people because there was no spring game to watch. Exactly. And so we like to, to give our perspective on it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, quarterback Kyle Allen's, he's, he's pretty much the guy. You got Kyle Murray coming in the summer. You never yeah. know what could happen. He, he's considered probably maybe the best test high school quarterback of all time. And so you know, anything can happen. But Allen, he kind of took hold of the job this spring as being the guy taking all the number one reps. And he, and he showed very well. And, and you look at second-year guys in, the, in, the, uh, in this offense, typically they show big improvements. And he showed pretty well down the line last year. And everyone knows the five-star county was, you know, number one pro-style quarterback exactly. in the nation. He's got the talent. And you look at what he's got around the perimeter, you got guys like Josh Reynolds who broke the single-season touchdown record. Speedy all on the outside. Everyone knows what kind of athlete he is. Yeah. RSJ, he, he's developing a lot on the inside. He's finally figuring out that, hey, I'm bigger and stronger than all the guys I'm going against. Mm-hmm. I can be more physical and I can be exactly. that kind of player. And then you throw in Christian Kirk. The the new five star freshman who's you know, he's shown great as an early enrollee. He's he's a lot more physically developed than people thought, and he runs great routes. He's get he's good with the ball in open space, and so you got a lot of talent on the perimeter. Exactly. And running back, you got Trey Carson coming back. You got Brandon Williams and James White, who a lot of people say was the MVP of the spring was James White. He's a guy to really look out for exactly. as being a difference maker this year. The big question on offense is how's O line going to come together? They got a new coach Dave Christensen who's developing a more physical downhill running style, you know, putting the guards' hands in the dirt, and you're more getting after inside zone, power, counter, stuff like that. And how are they going to come together? How are they going to replace Cedric Aboyhe at a left tackle with Avery Genesee? How is he going to step up? Is, is Jermaine Effetti going to be the All-American people think he can be at right tackle? When Mike Matthews come back after, after injury. He'll be the senior leader. And then you got Joseph Cheek returning right guard who's got a lot of playing experience. Yeah. And then the other Juco guy, Jermaine Illuminor, stepping left guard. That's probably going to be your five. With yeah. maybe the retro freshman Coda Martin being kind of your swing guy as the backup, and how is that going to come together? They're going to come together as a unit because one thing they really did well in spring was run the ball. That's mm-hmm. if they're going to do one thing well is run the ball. They had some more p- issues on pass protection. A lot of that can be a testament to how good the D line is for them now. Yeah. And so that's a big question on the offensive line: is are they going to be able to hold it in pass protection? Or are they going to run the ball so well that it's make it easier to hit off play action? Yeah. You know, because there's a lot more play action oriented. Uh, pieces of the offense now. It's a lot more run-based offense. And that's still going to be a spread. You're still going to throw it around because you got yeah. that kind of talent. But you're going to see a lot more efficient, a lot more uh, run plays yeah. coming from A&M. And, and, and I, th- I think, you know, we've been talking about, you know, the, the offenses here in the SEC West. I think this is the one team that we can look at and say, okay, they're not going to have a whole lot of questions on offense. Right. They know what they have come back in quarterback. They know what they're going to have at receiver. Uh, you know, like you said, running back, they got a, they got a wealth of guys there that they're going to be able to rotate in. I, I think this is going to be – and maybe it's just my bias. This is this is going to be the most intriguing, fun offense to watch, just because of how they want to set up. Like you said, they want to become a power running team. They want to focus on the run. But you look at Kevin Sumlin year four and the things that he's always done with his offense. They're still going to put up numbers. They're still going to want to go fast, press you. They're still going to want to sling it around to their players on the outside. So it's going to be a very interesting combination of you know of, of air raid type passing concepts combined with you know this this downhill power running type of offense that that I'm really looking forward to seeing with Trey Carson and. 
and like you said, James White, they're, they're going to be guys that are going to um, come in, and, and it's going to be a very fun rotation to watch. The question with A&M, though, obviously, the last three years has been on the defensive side of the ball. They bring in John Chavis, which Jeez. I think I think could be the the, the off season hire of the of you know the higher of the off season. Yeah, and everyone's talking about Mushamp. No one's really looking at Chavis. Nobody's when really he can talking about Chavis. And it's much. not like A&M doesn't have young talent. They had young talent, and a lot of those guys they they got thrown the fire as young talent. Mm-hmm. But the talent is there, and you and you incorporate that with the way Chavis plays, and and it's a really good marriage between the two because. Look what A&M's got on defense. Up front, they got a pretty nasty D-line. You got tons of pass rush potential with Miles Garrett, Deshaun Hall, Quaylen Cunningham, yep. Jarrett Johnson. You got the freshman coming, James Lockhart. And you got a lot of pass rushers. In the middle, you got your veteran, Alonzo Williams, who's who's been who's been in a bunch of wars. He's exactly. been he's been in the trenches. You know, he's got that experience. And you throw in a, like a new guy like Dale Mack, some second, third year guys like Zay Coven Henderson, Hardrick Walker. And you got you got the talent up front on D-line. I think that a lot of people were saying this D-line for AM will be better than the D-line that LSU's had under Chavis in the past two years since the Mingo Montgomery days. And so if you give that kind of talent on D-line, then that's going to make your defense a whole lot better. That's the, that's the two biggest things for Chavis is the D-line and the secondary. Now let's hit on the secondary. I think at safety, you probably got the most underrated safety package you got in the SEC with the newcomer, Justin Evans, who should not be – he should not great. There's nothing but good things about he, him. He's, he was wanted by the entire SEC coming out of Juco. A lot Juco. of excitement at a spring ball. Team. And Armani Watts says he showed a lot of flashes being a playmaker. Exactly. A playmaker A&M hasn't had a safety in years. Yeah. And so you put those two together, throw in Don Wilson as another – he's a swing guy. And then you got pretty good making at safety. Yeah. Now, corners, we got your question marks. You got your, your veteran, your senior, Devonta Harris, who's, who's gotten a lot bigger, and he's, he's really adapted well to his new playing style because he's playing the way he, want, the way he likes to play. He's just getting up in your face and getting after you. You saw him do that to Odell Beckham two years ago, and he played really well at it. LSU last year, they let him press up some, and he, and he, did, he had a really great game in that game. Mm-hmm. And so this is really going to up his style because, he, A, he's getting bigger and better. And B, he's playing his preferred style, and that I think you'll see a lot more improved Devonta Harris this year. Exactly. But on the other side, that's where it's a pretty big question. Out of spring, Victor Davis seems to be the front runner, and he and when you look at Victor Davis, he looks like a, the corner you want to draw. That big, long, physical—he's got everything you want. It's just he showed a lot last year, but it was playing more of an off-style coverage, was not really to a strong mm-hmm. suit. So, is this new scheme going to make him a lot better player than he was last year? Can he step up and be that guy? That's a big question mark. Yeah, I mean, I. You talk about the defense. I think one thing that a lot of you know a lot of reports coming out of AM Spring Ball regarding the defensive side, the word that you hear a lot is is uh, is confidence and comfortability. Mm-hmm. You know, guys are guys are playing more comfortable. They're playing in their more natural position. Like you said, the corners they get to play head up in, a, in a more of a man type of concept. They don't have to think as much as they did under Schneider, um, and 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 that just goes a long way in building your confidence. You know, coming off the last three years, this this team they weren't a good defense. I mean, we. The Ag struggled quite a bit, you know, in a lot of games last year. And, and had it not been for their defense, you know, they may have been a team that could have competed for the SEC West. Um, so, it, getting a guy in here like Chavis that just allows guys to play, you know, where where their more natural fits are, where their skills, you know, best best uh, you know best line up. It, it goes a long way as far as confidence in, in playing in this league, known for their defense. You have to have a confident defense. You have to guys that you have to have guys that can go out there. Every week and say, "Hey, we're just going to line you up and knock you down." Yeah, and, and, and you know, I, I think Chavis has shown that he can do that with LSU and with Tennessee, and, and it's, I mean, you give A and M a year or two to get their guys in there, to get their depth, get their development in there. It's this could be a team that that could be pretty good in the next few years. And it's a lot different mentality now with Chavis. Under Snyder, it was a lot more keep everything in front of you, and and we'll, and it's a lot more thought process going on. With Chavis, it's in your face, aggressive attack, attack, yeah. attack. 
And that's the biggest thing is that's going to be a totally different mentality you yep. see on defense for A&M. And with the talent they have up front, that's the perfect kind of scheme to go with, to go with it. It can kind of cover up some issues you have at corner just because you got that kind of attack up front. And another biggest question I think, and maybe it might be the biggest key to this year, is the health at linebacker. Oh, yeah. They missed a lot of guys in the Definitely. spring because of injury, but they got the talent. Ataro Laka, Josh Walker, just A.J. Hilliard, that's a lot of talent in a linebacker. And you got probably a solid two deep with the guys you got. But they gotta stay healthy. Because yep. if they if they don't stay healthy, then you got true freshmen coming in that you really don't want to play that much. And you look at Andy's schedule; um, their schedule sets up very well for them. First ten games you play in the state of Texas, you don't have to travel a whole lot. You know, you got to go to Ole Miss, to LSU, but you know, you get Bam at home, you get Mississippi State at home, you get Auburn at home, um, you get to go play you know Arizona State in uh, in Reliance Stadium, Houston, play Arkansas in, in Cowboy Stadium. And, you know, I just think that, that you know, the, the schedule for AM sets up very well for them to be able to, to get, get their guys and get their, you know, get, get some young talent playing, first of all, in a few of those early games and, and just get their guys comfortable playing in the state and not have to worry about as much trouble. Yeah, it's definitely a well-set-up schedule. You start off with Arizona State, that's going to be a big game. They're going to be a, a highly ranked team. People expect a lot out of them. So how they show out against them is going to be a, a good sign for how they're going to handle the SEC exactly. West schedule. And the Arkansas games will set the tone. And, you know, everyone everyone looks at the disaster of Bama last year, but when you get down to it, Bama's got to come to A and M, and A and M matchup wise gives Bama some issues. Oh, yeah. So people are no one's gonna look. I don't think anyone's really gonna look at that as a stumbling block. But when you look at the matchups, I mean, it, it's hard to believe a fifty nine zero turnaround could happen, but you could very well see the upset from A and M. I definitely year. don't think we see another fifty nine nothing. Oh, that's year. definitely that's not, there's <laughs> uh, not a chance of if, that if, anymore. If there's a fifty nine nothing, there's there's bigger problems than yeah. Than but I, I expect a very much improved a and team on both sides of the ball. Run the ball on offense and just overall defense. A lot of improvement. All right, getting into part two of our podcast here, uh, we'll be talking about the, the 2015 NFL draft that just finished up this past weekend. Um, going in, there it was a very intriguing draft. I mean, obviously, you know, you knew about the quarterbacks up top with Mariota and, and Winston, and I think the biggest question was going to be where Mariota was going to end up. Um, but, you know, just a couple of thoughts that I had about the draft as a whole. Um, not a whole lot of trades. You know, no. typically in the past, you, you saw a lot of trades. You saw a lot of top ten guys, you know, top ten teams, you know, moving up or moving back. You didn't see a whole lot of trades. I mean, I think our first trade didn't come till you know, around pick 13 or 14 of the first round. Um, I Personally, I was expecting, you know, a team to try to jump up for Mariota. I think Tennessee got a very good pick there. Um, I don't think, you know, they, they were talking about trying to shop the pick, trying to trade to get what they can for it. I don't think they, there was anything wrong with them staying in pat taking the quarterback that they, you know, see the future. You don't have to play immediately. You have Zach Medenberger. Um, but the other, the other story I was going to say was, I, I, you know, last year, obviously, we knew of the, the rookie class of receiver. Right. There were guys this year, you know, their analysts are saying there could be as many as eight wide receivers drafted in the first, year, in the first round. Not quite nearly that, you know, that many this year. Uh, but I think, you know, you do get a lot of quality guys in that, in that first round, especially you know, with uh, starting off with obviously Amari Cooper and uh, Kevin White, but you know Devontae Parker, guy from Louisville, that I think can go to Miami and do a lot of really good things. Replace Mike Wallace over there, give Ryan Tannehill another threat. Um, you know, he's a guy that I, that I really, I really love that pick over there, and, and I think that can get him a whole lot of, uh, you know, a whole lot of help over there. Yeah, I think, and I was surprised a guy like Jalen Strong dropped to the third round. I thought he was a first round guy. I mean, he's yeah. a very talented. He's still for the Texans in the fourth round. Yeah, so I mean, I know people worry about that wrist injury, but he's another guy I think can show a lot of depth in this receiver yeah. class, and that that seems to be a, a common theme now with receivers is with so many spread offense in the past, oriented offense in the college that you're seeing so many well developed and so many talented receivers come out in the draft now. I think that's 
that's becoming a recurring theme. It's not just a, a one-year wonder. So exactly. I think that's another big, big emphasis on the draft. Talking about some of the other big winners of the draft, um, you know, prior to the podcast, I, I created a little, like a, a five-site composite uh, draft grade um, of, you know, teams that I thought did the, did the best in their draft and, and kind of gave a, you know, an average grade of, of a bunch of different sites uh, pulling together. Uh, the team at the top that graded out actually was, was the team with the third overall pick, the Jacksonville Jaguars. They graded out at 91.8. Um, you look at what they did in the first few rounds. They got Dante Fowler from Florida in the first round at, at uh, pass, third overall. Pass um, rush, you know, that, yeah, that's I mean, pass rush is a, especially under Gus Bradley over there. Pass rush, you know, he's a huge stress for him, and and I think he's gonna, you know, he'll be a day one starter. But you look at the next couple of rounds. You get T.J. Yeldon in round two. You get A.J. Cam, the guard from South Carolina, in round three, who had 51 starts a guard, um, and and then even going down a little further, you know, you have James Sample, the safety from Louisville. You know, he, he only had one year at Louisville, but 90 tackles and four interceptions, you're not going to play with that. And then, uh, you know, it, in the fifth round, if you can get Rashad Green, uh, Florida, Florida State's all-time leading receiver, James Winston's favorite target, his second-team All-American, um, close to 100 catches this year. I, I think getting a guy like him in the fifth round, you can't ask for a whole lot more. I mean, you, you hit your knees in the draft, you hit your pass rush, you get a, a, a real legitimate running threat in T.J. Yeldon. And, and then, of course, being able to help out Blake Borders in the passing game with Rashad Green. You know, I like what they did. I, I, th- I think they deserved the grade they got with a 91.8. Um, and I think this is a team that, you know, they may not be in contention for the AFC South this year, but definitely they have the, they have the building blocks there to be able to, to go a lot further. And, you know, I would have liked to see them address the, guard, the tackle position. But getting a guy like A.J. Cann, who had 51 starts at guard for South Carolina, I love what they did, and, and I, I think they're going to they're gonna be a much improved team this year. Yeah, and I think Rashad Green could end up being a pretty big pickup. I mean, he's not ideal size, exactly. I mean, he but he runs, he runs great routes. He gets open, got good hands. He could be one of those late-round guys that you look and say, how did he get to, to exactly. the fifth round and all the way to pick 139? He's just one of those college football players. He, he produces well, for some reason drops, exactly. and, and still produces exactly. the NFL. He's just one of those guys that doesn't have great measurables, you know, doesn't test well. He's not going to blow you away, but he's going to get the job done week in and week out. Yeah, he's the guy, he's, he's guy you can turn to and say, hey, he's going to make plays. Look at looking down, and you know who else I got on there? Minnesota. I graded them at a, at a high B in '89. Um, Love the Trey Wayne's pick in the first round. Obviously, when they were on the board, I didn't think they were going to go Trey Wayne's. I was thinking they're going to go probably Devontae Parker. You know, given the Louisville connection with Teddy Bridgewater again. But you look at Trey Wayne's. I mean, what, what else can you ask for in a cornerback? He's big. He's physical. May not always be the best tackle in space, but you know, I hate to say what corners are, but corners aren't meant to be great tacklers. This kid's a very physical guy. He's going to come in. He's going to. He's going to be able to start on one side and, and really lock it down. Um, I also like what they did in the, in the second round, getting the linebacker from UCLA. Uh, 150 tackles his senior year, you know, something I thought was very overlooked, the Buckus Award winner, um, and, and Eric Kendricks. Um, Mike Zimmer, you know the new – not the new – the finish up his first year over in Minnesota. You know what he's about. You know he's about defense and vastly improved that defense last year. I think they were one of the last in the league in scoring defense – or total defense came when he came in. Brought him up to right around the middle of the league, so he's getting his young guys in there. He's getting a lot of depth in there, and, yeah, no, and, and that that Minnesota defense could be nasty here. Yeah, a guy like Daniel Hunter, he's he's a, he's got a big upside guy. He wasn't as productive in college as people probably expected to, but I mean, you look you look at him, guy. He's a specimen. I mean, he's exactly. a guy that he looks like a pass rusher, and so if, they, if you can get something out of him, that helps help the defense on all three levels: and pass rush with Kendrick's linebacker and Wayne's it. At a corner, that I mean, that's improving all three levels of defense. Exactly. And you know Zimmer's all about defense. That that can be a, a big a big draft for them defensively. Mm-hmm. Definitely, they they definitely solidified you know their defense there, and, and and I think now that allows them to be able to turn their shift more you know to the offense, being able to develop those guys and and get Teddy Bridgewater uh, going in, in his second year. Um, 
but I think the team that, that I like the most of what they did in this entire draft, um, the Atlanta Falcons picking it at number eight there. You know, there was talk about them wanting to move up, you know, try to package some picks to move up to get one of the top two guys in uh, pass rushers in, in, uh, in um, Dante Fowler or Leonard Williams. Didn't let that happen. They stayed put where they were and got Vic Beasley pick number eight. Love that pick, you know, mm-hmm. addressing the pass rush. But for me, it was, it was what they did in rounds two, three, and four. Getting Jalen Collins, a cornerback from LSU, in the second round, I thought that was a steal. Getting Tevin Coleman, the running back from uh, Indiana, in the third round, he's, he'll be a guy that could come in there and get a lot of carries, a lot of touches to start off. Very productive. Very productive. Yeah. And then, and then perhaps you know we were talking about earlier, Clayton, who, one of the most productive and maybe the most underrated guy receiver in the draft, Justin Hardy, the mm-hmm. wide receiver from Eastern Carolina, four-year starter, thirty-five touchdowns, four thousand, who knows, at four thousand five hundred yards, something like that. He averaged 1,000 or 1,100 yards each year. He was there at, at ECU in, in that Riley, at Lincoln Riley, you know, throw it out off, you know, throw yeah, it all he, around he, offense. He was Shane Carden's favorite guy. He oh, was his go to guy. You, you throw anything that kid's way, he's going to come down with it. I mean, he had well over 100. I think he had like 230 catches the last two years. So he's going to be a guy that I, I feel like you could put in the slot there with, with Roddy White and with Julio Jones and, and pair him up with Matt Ryan and some of the other tools they have on offense. And, and this really could be a very, very uh, you know, lethal offense. Again, like you talked about, the question mark over there is defense. They bring in Dan Quinn, um, you know, defensive guru from Seattle, uh, you know, and obviously bringing in Vic Beasley. I like what they did. I, I really think that, that they could be a team that pushes for the NFC South. I mean, last year's on the NFC South, kind of teams all over the place. And, and to me, it seems like every year, you never know who's going to take the NFC South. You know, you obviously got, you got Carolina and Cam Newton. They're going to be a threat every year. Um, Tampa, you know, Maybe not your your favorite two in the division, but they're definitely they got things going in the right direction with Jameis Winston. But you know, I think between between New Orleans and Atlanta this year in the division, I think those two teams are going to be the teams that are going to be duking it out. Um, it's going to come down to you know depth and and, and who who you're going to have outside your starting twenty two. And that division is notorious. That I don't remember how many years in a row it was, but it was it was it was a few that the last place division team for exactly. the first year oh, won yeah. the division. Oh, it's, yeah. it's a division that anything can happen any year. I mean, you got Tampa and Atlanta both drafting the top ten, and New Orleans drafting at fourteen. I think those could be three teams that we look at as as teams that could push for the playoffs. Now, maybe not Tampa Bay. You know, obviously with a rookie quarterback, that'll be pretty tough, and they got a lot of other holes to fill. But but they got but, now, but, but but they have they have the blueprint. They have the framework there with Mike Evans, with Vincent, Vincent Jackson. Um, still got to you know I, I would like to see them improve. I mean, they added one second round, but improve the O line a little more this offseason in free agency. But they added uh, you know a tackle later in the draft in the second round. This, I think the NFC South is going to be a division to watch that, you know, there, there could be a lot, of, a lot of movers and shakers and a lot of guys that we could see as, as possible Rookie of the Year candidates from that division. Yeah. Now, uh, let's take a look at some of the, the lower-rated drafts and take a look uh. at some of them. Now, two, 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 maybe three that stand out to me are teams that seems like year in, year out, people, they don't really like their drafts, but they turn out to be productive, like Seattle and Indianapolis. A lot of people question their picks, but it seems year in, year out, they get guys that they draft that people weren't high on. They come out and be productive players. Yeah, and, and, and part of that, you know, Seattle comes with, with drafted so far down. I mean, they, they traded out of the first round. Um, you know, they, they didn't like where they were at, so they got out. Um, but, I, you know, a lot of these teams on here, Carolina, you know, I liked what they did. I really would have liked to see them, you know, improve or improve the, the O-line there. But, um, you know, other teams, it was just a lot of guys that they didn't exactly have a whole lot of picks. Buffalo didn't have a first-round pick. I liked what they did in the second round, getting Ronald Darby from 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 uh, Florida State. I just don't know he's the guy that they needed at the time. They they have a they have a pretty young quality secondary with 
with some good guys back there, Aaron Williams and some of those other guys. But I just I didn't think that was a position that they that you know when you don't have the first round pick, your your second round pick has to be a guy that has to come in and start day one. Yeah, Darby can come in and do that. I just thought that you know I would like to see him. You know, take take a, a, a another guy to help out EJ Manuel because as we know in this league, you got to have a quarterback. Um, obviously, um, Sammy Watkins last year did a lot of good things. They got Lashawn McCoy, so I like what they're doing. Um, just I, I wasn't sure if cornerback was exactly where they needed to go with their first pick of the draft. And uh, one of my personal favorites that really wasn't highly rated, wasn't really low, lowly rated amongst the, the drafts was I like Cincinnati what they did. The first two picks, oh, they yeah. go a boy and Fisher. They're yeah. building their future tackle because both those guys are coming off contract as starters. Mm-hmm. So you're building your, your future there. And then you go and get a guy like Paul Dawson. And he he's not going to test well, but he's just a really good instinctive inside linebacker. Yeah. And Cincinnati has, seems to have like a knack for that. Guys that, that either drop down boards for one reason or another, but they're good college football players. They go and get them, and they produce well. And you, look, you look at uh, the D the tackle, they got Gino, uh, Gino Atkins. He was, yeah. he was a guy that fell in draft boards, but he was a great college player. Comes around, what do you know? Great NFL player. Yeah. He's, they, they don't look at some of these things that people knock other guys for. They just say, hey, this guy's a good football player, and we'll take him. So Paul yeah. Dawson's another example of that. And, and real quick, going back to Carolina, we were talking about um, Shaq Thompson, you know, the guy that picked the first round from, from Washington. Very good player. I just I didn't, I didn't think he was what they needed at the time at right. that time. You know, they, their defense wasn't terrible last year. You know, Luke Keekley is going to do Luke Keekley things, and, and, you know, they have a lot of great things, but – um, yeah, I just thought you could have got a little bit better value for Shaq Thompson. I'm interested in what kind of role he's going to do because he was kind of a tweener at Washington. He was, mm-hmm. a, he was a safety in high school who grew into a linebacker. I guess they could probably put him on the edge and Sam wouldn't be a space player. But just, just seeing how he fits in and how much of an impact he, he can make because you look at the NFL now, they, they do a lot of nickel defenses because a lot of more teams are getting to more 11 personnel and more, and more spread out kind of offenses. And so a guy like Shaq Thompson, how much is he going to be on the field? Is he, is he, is he going to benefit from that and being a former safety? Mm-hmm. Or as a new linebacker, is he going to be taking off the field more for nickel packs? Exactly. Guy that they can move around quite a bit. Um, anyway, moving on, like, you, like you, you, know, you touched on a little bit, this, this whole spread in the NFL type of concept, that's been a thing that over the last couple of years, I believe it, it's, it's, people have said that it, it can happen, but you see it is happening. Yeah, and, and, I, and I, I, I want to talk about this today because it was actually, I was watching the pre-show for the draft, and they were talking about Marcus Mariota. I think it was probably Trent Delfort talking about how anything he, he sees in the NFL is going to be new to him. It's all different because everything's so much different than the NFL. We've all got these, these pro-style West Coast cookie-cutter offenses, and everything's going to be new to him. And my roommate makes comments and said, yeah, you know, spread offense, they don't work in the NFL. There's too much speed. And I wish you could have seen the look on my face <laughs> because I just I, – I turned at him, and I, I'm like – what are you talking about? Yeah. Have, have you not seen the Patriots offense from last year? Tell me what about the Patriots offense last year, especially in the Super Bowl, was not the spread offense. Exactly. They get the 11 personnel. They like to they, sometimes they go four wide. They split tight end out, and they run lots of short intermediate stuff, lots of option exactly. routes, and getting the ball in space. And and when you look at the spread offense, when when you when you analyze what it really is, because you can't say oh this offense is a, this offense is the spread offense. There's so many different iterations of it now these days. But when the whole the basis spread concept, what what are you doing? You're stretching out the defense horizontally by alignment and then getting the ball in space, your playmakers, exactly. throwing to grass, stuff like that. And when you look what the Patriots did last year, that's what they did. They didn't really throw the ball deep that much when they did. They didn't do it very well. But Tom Brady sat back there, and he got guys like Julian Edelman, like Damian Dola, and you're throwing it to him in space and letting him make plays, reading mm-hmm. coverages, and, and find the gaps. And you can't tell me the spread offs will work because it already does. There are already yeah. iterations, and it keeps evolving, and there's more and more getting implemented. So I don't want to hear this stuff about, oh, you know, spread offense is not going to work. Spread quarterbacks can't work. If if NFL 
you know, decision makers and coaches will open up their minds more and, and implement more of the spread offense stuff that's completely taken over college football, you're going to have a lot better a lot of better things going on quarterback. You're not going to see just seven quarterbacks drafted exactly. in the NFL because people are afraid, oh, you know, spread offense guys can't work. Well, if you actually adjust your offense to be more QB friendly, then it's going to be better. Like Chip Kelly said before, if your offense isn't quarterback friendly, then it's a bad offense. Exactly. You need to try to mold and fit things to, to fit your quarterbacks. Everyone knows NFL is a quarterback-centrically. Everything is based on quarterback. So if you're not trying to adjust things to help your quarterback, then, then you're going to hurt your own team mm-hmm. rather than sticking your own, setting your ways things. Adapt more because for often, like it or not, it's it's taking over football. It is. It's becoming the what the grassroots is for yeah. all the high school and college programs. And, and I think a, a good indicator of that is looking back last year in the draft. Look at how many receivers we had drafted in the first round last year compared mm-hmm. to how many running backs were drafted in the last mm-hmm. couple of years. This year was the first year in, in I don't know how many years. I know it's the first year since like 2012 since we had a running back taken in the first round. Not only that, we had two. Uh, I think that's more that's speaking more towards the quality of running back in this class than it is more so, you know, any kind of spread uh, spread schemes going from college to pro. But when you look at it, a lot of these quarterbacks, you know, people say, oh, well, the, the spread won't work in the NFL. Look at all these guys that are bust. You got to look at I mean, yeah, some of these spread offense guys may not always work out, but the the, the key with getting these, these guys to the NFL and, and, and really incorporating your offense tailored to their needs is, is what they came from in college. I mean, you look like a guy like, for example, Geno Smith coming from West Virginia. I know that offense is it's one, two, read, and, and get out. If your first read isn't there, if your second read isn't there, get rid of it. You can't do that in the NFL. I mean, it's, that's, that's no question. You can't just have a one or two read. I think the biggest thing is, is making, like you said, making these offenses pass you know, quarterback friendly that you can get these guys to go through their reads, get them developed, not have to throw them in there day one. I mean, again, like Geno Smith, he sat a little bit to start off, but you can't expect a guy who is going from one type of system in college come into the, the NFL, have a totally new system, have a totally new playbook, and expect him to, to do the same things he did in college. It's going to take time. It's going to take some, some growth and some maturity. And, it, again, it, gets, it just gets back down to coaching and, and tailoring your offense to your quarterback and to your strengths of your team. I think one of the biggest things in the NFL is you've got to be balanced. You can't, you're can't. you not going to be able to line up and run downhill the whole game on anybody. It's not going to work. And you can't just sit back and try to pass on everybody all day. It's not going to work. NFL teams are too good at taking yep. away one thing that you do well. So, you know, I'm not saying spread offenses, you know, throw it 60 times a game and that's going to turn out well. That's not going to work. Mm-hmm. But I'm not saying – but you shouldn't be saying that, oh, you can only do things one way. Spread offense will work if it's implemented correctly. You see what Chuck Kelly's doing. He not only did he bring some of the stuff he brought from Oregon and some of those spread type concepts – but he also he implemented a lot of more pro style stuff. It's just the imbalance. Yeah. But you can't say that your offense won't work. No, doing a single, doing one single way of doing it is not going to work. If you're balanced, you incorporate it in a balance like the Patriots do. That's the way it can work. But I, you can't say the spread offense won't work because it already does. So I think people are just waiting for that one college coach to come into the league and just to to take everybody by storm. We thought it was going to be Chip Kelly that came in and just you know spread offense takes over everything. It's it's not that easy, you know. With with the NFL, they've been this this. 12, 13 personnel, this 20, you know, 21, 12 personnel for the last, whatever, 40 years. It's, all, it's, it's always been about two running backs having two good tight ends, maybe having a couple good receivers and a quarterback who can just get the job done. Times are changing, especially with guys coming out of high school or college and high school, really, with the way these offenses are run. Times are changing, and, and it's, it's not always going to be this, this okay, I'm going to turn around and hand it off, and it's just going to be a cloud of dust. I mean, guys are guys – are, are, Better passers than they've ever been. They're they're much more athletic than they've ever been, and and I, I think 
it's it's a little unfair just to be waiting on one guy from college to come in and just take everybody by storm. It's going to be a gradual process, and we've seen that, like you said, with the Patriots, with the Eagles, and a lot of these other teams that are now going to these these shotgun, spread them out, full wide receiver offenses. It's not going to happen overnight, and it and it hasn't happened overnight. It's it's going to be a slow incorporating thing. But I think if you look back, you know, five ten years from now, to compared to what we have today to what we had ten years ago, it's it you, it's three totally different games. It's oh, going yeah. to be three totally different games between. 10 years ago now and, and, and what's to come is the game's always changing. There's always going to be new coaches coming up with new wrinkles and new ways to, to draw it up. And, and, and honestly, it's, it's very fun to watch because I, th- I think it's no secret that, that football is becoming an offensive game and we're starting to see it a lot more in the NFL. And a lot of these, these older guys that are kind of running the NFL right now, those guys are just going to retire and, for lack of a better term, die off. And then how these younger guys are all used to, to playing the spread and they learn the spread. Exactly. And, and naturally, the, the pool of coaching you're going to pull from is going to be a lot more spread based, and so it's just I mean naturally by attrition they're going to see a lot more spread incorporated into exactly. it. And so you can deny it all you want, and you can say oh it won't work, and you know put your head in the sand all you want, but you know it's time to turn, come to terms to realize spread off is coming to the NFL and, and it's and it's going to be successful. And, and talking about the, all those guys that have run it and, and you know run the spread off into college, I think right now if if, if you made me list five spread offense teams in college right off the bat, I could do it in less than three seconds. You told me to list five true West Coast pro style type of offenses in college right now. It's it's gonna make me think a little more. Yeah, you know, I mean they're they're out there, but, it, but it, it, it there's not as many teams that that come right to your mind about okay yeah this is a great pro team and you, you got Stanford you got USC and you got some of these other teams. It's just I, I'm just Alabama. I'm just not sure if you can just list these guys right off the bat as guys that they're, they're developing all their guys into, into pro styles. And even if they are, even if they are running these pro stuff, a lot of it, they've changed it to make it a more type of a college type of offense. And lately, how many of those schools are producing quarterbacks, like big-time quarterbacks? Stanford and Andrew Luck, but outside of that... I'll give I mean, you Stanford and Andrew Luck, but I mean, outside I mean, of that... Bama? I mean... I, and maybe Bortles, but I wouldn't even consider Bortles a pro uh, style type yeah, of he's, offense. He's more spread guy. He's more spread guy. More spread, you know, and so how many of those schools are producing more used to those guys as the game managers that just get sent, you know, they can really get recruited by the spread mm-hmm. teams. So, you know, if you're trying to pull your quarterbacks and be pro-style guys, it's a very, very limited pool to pull from. Mm-hmm. And so either two things are going to happen. Either you better you better adapt to spread offense more and adapt to a more spread quarterback, or you're just going to have to struggle finding the quarterbacks. There's not that many pro-style mm-hmm. guys coming out of college. And, and you use the term game manager. I don't. That's not a bad term at no, all. I, mean, no, I, I, don't, I don't think anybody's, you know, Nobody's saying that you have to have a superstar quarterback to run the spread offense in the NFL. You don't. In, in any spread offense, you really don't. The, the point of spread offense to make a quarterback friendly, make a quarterback hit the easy throws, and just to get the ball rolling. And you can do that with a, with a game manager type of guy. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to have a, 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 a star, you know, Johnny Manziel, RG3, you know, any of these big flashy yeah. spread offense. You don't need those guys right. to be successful. You just need guys that are going to get the ball to your playmakers outside that are going to do their job, be accurate, take care of the football. And from then, you can go whatever pace, whatever tempo, whatever schemes you want. As long as, you know, you have an offense that, is, that your quarterback is it's tailored to your quarterback is what I'm trying to say. Well, that's, that's all we have for today. Be sure to tune in next week as our spring ball wrap-up tour hits the SEC East. And we discuss more football topics. This is Clayton. This is Patrick. And the first ever HOB football podcast is signing off. So gone, so gone, bring out the glass tables.